sorry, that. Am I on? Uh, that's very disconcerting being clapped. <laughs> Completely. Uh, and to add to that, we've got some technology which apparently. So, do we want to switch on the Apple TV? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I haven't got an Apple TV, no idea what it is, but apparently Apple TV will play this through that. Or not. did work, honest. <laughs> it did work before. Way. Uh, <clears throat> it's a while since I've spoken. This is kind of, preaching's a funny experience. I don't know, for those of you you don't know, you kind of go through this process where you gather information over the weeks and, and if you're like me, you get to about 10 o'clock Sunday night and you throw it all away and you think, what is it I'm really trying to say? Um, I'm getting a little bit better at it because I now throw it away about midday on Saturday rather than on Saturday evening. Um, so if you don't like my illustrations or you're not very happy with what I do, trust me, it could have been a whole lot worse. Okay, so... Uh, um, <laughs> uh, so our title today is Pleasing God, and I'll try and be obedient to follow that. Um, what we're going to do is we're reading from 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to read it to you. It's on the screen, because I think it's worth reading the whole chapter. So just, just bear with me while I, while I read it and let God speak to you. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 6. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously at Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make to you does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not even looking for praise from people, nor from you, nor anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Um, if you're one of those people who are able to kind of process that and work it out in your head, and some of you will be able to do that, if you're like me, you have to kind of read it a number of times, what you'll get is that there's a... Um, Paul is really talking here about his integrity. He's talking about his integrity as a man. And if you know the backstory to this is that Paul and Silas were in Philippi. Uh, there was a... Um, uh, there was a woman who probably had some kind of spiritual oppression. She was following them around and was um, telling people about what they were doing. And Paul rebuked the woman and the spirit in her. And the, the, um, whatever happened, her powers were lost. And so the town was in uproar. And uh, so uh, basically, 
Paul and Silas went from Philippi, came to Thessalonia. Uh, and when they were there, they'd been there, we think, about three, a few weeks preaching in the, uh, in the synagogue. And there, there came uproar because some people came from Philippi. I love this verse. If you read the authorised version, it says, Lewid fellows of a baser sort came from Philippi and, and they caused uproar. And what happened is Paul had to run away in the middle of the night and he left it. And I think there might be something in this that helps us understand why he's making this, this strong plea for his integrity because it feels to me like he's saying, look, I know I did that, but I want you to know that my motives are pure my heart is for God, it's not to please people. You can kind of, um, you can take it or leave it, but I think there's something about that there. There's also, there's also something which Paul is distancing himself from what were around at the time, the holy man. And there were people, and this happens in other parts of the world today, where there are holy men who go around telling people about, and I use the word holy in inverted commas, telling people about spiritual things, looking for money, basically begging, but using, using some kind of religious experience. Paul was separating himself from that and saying, I'm not like those. I'm not looking for your money. I'm not looking to get something from you. Uh, I'm coming uh, simply because I want to give you the gospel. Um, <clears throat> his priority is to please God. And the word in there is trying, and I don't see that trying as in Paul, I don't think I'm going to succeed, but I see it as Paul saying, I set my heart, my intention, my intention is to please God. But in the middle of the passage, Paul announces something which may have passed us by, but he said, he said, my aim is to please God. And I just want to... um, Just want to kind of emphasize that for a minute. I've got a picture up here of a guy, I think it's the first guy who walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, happened about five years ago, um, right above the falls. Now, if some of us are honest and we sat down and thought about pleasing God, we might think about it like that. As Christians, we probably think, yeah, I please God. Yeah, that's great. But just stop and think about what does that mean? Six and a half billion people in the world, or whatever the number is. And I, myself as an individual, I can please God. For some of you, you may feel like that, that pleasing God is like walking on a tightrope. It's kind of, you know, I've got a balance and and I'm actually going to fall. It's only a question of time. It's some, God is looking for some really kind of tightrope type effect. Other other people might be looking at it saying, what on earth are you talking about, Mark? Why why would I want to please God? You may be here today thinking like that. Why would I want to please God? What relevance does God have in my life? That's about as relevant to me as walking across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. That's okay. Because if God God is God, he's relevant. And that's a valid question. Why would you? But go with it. Um, When I read the passage... I see two things. I see, first of all, that Paul is saying that it's possible to please God, so it isn't like walking on a tightrope. I cannot walk on a tightrope, right? It's impossible. God is not asking for you or me to do something that's impossible this morning. It is possible to please God. 
And also, there's something implicit in what Paul is saying, is that it not only is it possible to please God, but we can know how to do it. He can explain how to do it. And that's, I think that's, that's powerful. You know, there are some things that are possible, but I just don't know how to do it. You know, they might be possible for some of you in the room, but they're not possible for me. I know people who can speak several languages and they can flip in, in, you know, I've been in their houses where their family are having conversations and they're moving from two or three languages in the conversation at mealtime. I'm sitting there going like, huh? You know, are we, are we in English? Are we in Portuguese? Are we, where, where are we? I can't do that. Technically it's possible, but for me it's impossible. God is talking to us about something which is not only possible for us, but he can show us what it means and we can do it. And... <clears throat> But I do want to stress a point here, that when, when we're talking about pleasing God, uh, and I'm, I'm saying this with respect, he isn't saying that we're talking about pleasing the church, okay? There's a bit of a difference. Um, Paul is not saying that he is going to please all the kind of foibles and all the issues and, and all those sometimes frankly weird things that other people expect of us. Do you get my point? When we talk about pleasing God, yes, we do care about other people, but fundamentally we're talking about pleasing God, not trying to please everybody in the church. Um, you may disagree with me on that, but Paul is not chasing Facebook likes. You know, he's not chasing getting hits on his website for his preaching. He's actually positioning himself to say, what is it that God actually wants from me? Um, <clears throat> Sorry, even with clever technology, I can still make mistakes with this stuff. Um, so before we move on, I thought it would be interesting to just look at, if Paul was trying to please people, what might he say? I don't want to hang, get stuck on it, but it's worth thinking about the difference between someone who's preaching to please God and someone who's preaching just to please people. So if I was here this morning um, and I was just trying to please you, these are the kind of things I could say to you. I might say things that are just here to comfort you. I wouldn't challenge you or hold you to account. I would just say things that make you feel good. I might paint a picture of God who is some kind of benevolent dictator who can, who can come and fix everything for you. Um, as if God is some kind of super servant who will do, meet all of your needs. Um, I might try and take the place of God in your life. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But you know, sometimes that happens. You can see that in, in the history of the church, where people put themselves between you and God. That's not the gospel. You don't need someone between you and God. If I or anyone else comes in a place where you need them so much, they get in the way of your relationship with God, there's something wrong. The gospel does not breed dependency on an individual. It breeds dependency on God. Or I might give you what I might call, and I'm not being too judgmental, but I'm making a point. I, wouldn't give you a, I might give you a prosperity gospel that implies that you have a right to be healthy, wealthy, and presumably wise as well. Now we trust that God will enable us to be healthy and have money to be sufficient, but it isn't a right. Um, and usually you find after that teaching, someone will ask you to give first, and then you might get it back. You see, there are things that that just happen in our world today where people are preaching things to please people 
rather than God. And it's important that as a church that we discern it and it's important that I as an individual am held to account for what I preach, that I'm not preaching to please you but I'm preaching to God. That is where Paul was coming from. He said clearly in Galatians, if I was still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of God. It says in Proverbs, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Um, I need to put a bit of balance in here. When I talk about pleasing God, and, and we're going to talk about that, I don't mean for one minute that that justifies you ignoring everybody else. I don't mean that if we are to be pleasing God, somehow we become independent, we somehow become, you know, we, we are the masters of our own universe and, and, and we don't listen to anyone, we become unteachable. That isn't biblical either. Um, we become more aware of the people around us. Um, so there's a bit of balance. If you want to look at it, look in Mark 7. Jesus rebuked the, uh, the Pharisees because the Pharisees had this clever system where they would say, if you devote something to God, you then no longer have a responsibility to your parents. You know, we can do that. We can say, oh, sorry, I can't help you. I'm doing this for God. We just need to be aware. There's balance in these things. Um, so, let me, just, uh, let me just have a bit of a kind of interlude here. Um, now, where did they go? I brought something with me, but they didn't. Okay, never mind. Time to take my shades off. What am I talking about here? I had a hideous pair of glasses that I found on the beach in France. But um, take my shades off. Anyone remember the principle of Polaroid? Polaroid light or Polaroid film it was something that was developed in the 30s, which basically filtered out light. So it allowed light to kind of come in one direction. So if you like, really simplistically, light could go through vertical strips, but if light came the other way, horizontally, it got cut out. That's the sort of principle around a lot of sunglasses. They're filters. They prevent things getting through. My little challenge to you this morning as I was praying about this, that there are some of us who have got our Polaroids on. We've got our shades on. And what it means is that when something comes in from left field, someone might be speaking to us, God might be speaking to us, we actually don't hear it because we've got a filter. The filter says, I've dealt with that. The filter says, yeah, I've thought about that before. That's a bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to receive that message. The filter says, whoa, that's not me. That doesn't come from our congregation. That comes from some other wacky group of churches. Or even worse, that person's not a Christian. How dare they say that to me? We have filters. Are you with me? And, and, and we kind of hear stuff, of course, filters on our eyes, but we have filters on our ears. And they get in the way of what God is saying to us about pleasing him. Um, so don't drive in a tunnel with your sunnies on. You know, sometimes those filters are helpful. Sometimes we do need to kind of focus on what we're hearing. But just be aware that as people, we have a tendency to kind of filter out the stuff we don't like. Um, one of the things that we have to learn is all feedback. You know, everything we hear, God allows it. We can receive it. Not always comfortable, but we learn from it. So, let's come back to the exam question. Am I pleasing God? And this is where the filter comes in. If I asked you, are you pleasing God? You might say to me, well, I do a lot of things. I do a lot of, um, I, do a lot of I was in kids club, I was all these things. Uh, compared to the guy next to me or the lady next to me, I'm pretty good. 
That is our normal reaction when we hear something like, am I pleasing God? I start to think about it in terms of what am I doing? And usually it's what am I doing compared to the person next to me? So just kind of hold that thought. What is it that God is looking for when he's talking about pleasing God? I know you know this stuff. I know you're probably thinking, great, I can go home for lunch. But bear with me for a little minute. Um, The key to the door of pleasing God is this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must earnestly, must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Faith is the key for the door. And I know some of you, when I put that tightrope picture up, you're probably looking at it and thinking, I know, Mark, but how can I believe? How can I believe? It's okay. You're not the only one who's thought that. But faith is the key to pleasing God. Um, and our faith is precious Um, some people talk about stages of faith other people talk about growing gradually in faith but I want to be clear that when you read the Bible your faith will be tested that's what happens Um, the Bible talks about faith being tested by fire and a few hundred years ago that was literal if you were a Protestant in this country you could literally be tested by fire I don't expect that in our generation. What I expect is our faith is challenged by the wealth of information that we have that is scattered around today where everyone has an answer for everything, but nobody is accountable for the consequences of what they tell you. Our faith is being challenged, but it's being challenged from a whole variety of sources. Um, And I think for some of you this morning, I would say, you know, you are absolutely content and you are unwavering in what you know. God bless you. And I know also that there are some who are probably, you know, for them, faith is, is challenging and it's a deep and it's a bit of a difficult place and it's a struggling place. Can I say to you, we believe God and if you have faith in that, you may not be able to articulate it, you may not know what it means, you may not know what you're going through, but there's something about faith that God respects and responds to. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You believe God That matters. That's important. That's vital. You believe God. You may not know how it's going to work out, but you believe God. Most people believe their beliefs about God. There comes a point where we say, I don't always understand it, but I believe God. Do you see the difference? Sometimes I hear the doctrine, I believe the doctrine, but there comes a point where we say, God, I believe you. I believe you. I don't know, I don't always understand, but I believe you. So, what does this faith look like? Because you, you will know, like I know, that just for me to say, it's, just, it's okay, just believe, just have faith, you'll say, but come on, Mark, it's more than that. And of course it is. Faith, I showed that picture deliberately. Faith is the doorway that you go through. You have to go through that door, but what is it when you pass through the door? These are my friends. Justice, mercy, humility. Let me read... Um, what God spoke to, um, to the people or through the prophet Micah because the people of God were complaining and I'm going to start wrapping up now that um, God, they were complaining to God about what was going on and this is what God said through the book of Micah Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 
with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And later on in Isaiah, uh, sorry, Hosea, it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I could talk a lot about it, but there are many people who criticize the Old Testament and they say it's full of sacrifices and absolutely it is. But these verses are looking to a time when Jesus has come. They're looking to a time for what God is actually looking for. Justice, mercy, mercy and humility. I say that they're, they're my friends. Um, you know, they're our friends. I could, I could talk about them, but let me say this. These are words that belong to the church. They don't belong to atheism. They don't belong to, they don't even belong to humanism. Because if I'm a humanist, I want these words. But the difference is, I have to find these words in me. Because I don't believe anything outside of it. But as a Christian, I can look at these words and I can say, I love these words. These are the things that I know God is after. But I know, and this is a miracle of it, that this is what God is looking to work out in me. The great thing is, these are the words... These are the things that God is working out through faith in your life and in my life. But if I try and work them out without God, I'm a humanist. I've got a problem. I'm not dismissing that, but what I'm saying is, I reckon that I need the power to live these things out. And I reckon you do too. And these are the things that please God. And... We can think of Paul. Paul pleased God. But Paul was an evangelist. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten with rods. Paul went around the world preaching the gospel. Is that what it means to please God? Absolutely for him. But what does it mean for me? It means in my job, when I have year end, and I have to to assess people on how they've done, and I can follow what the business says, or I can stand up for what is right, and I can say no. This is what I think the judgment is. I I can take... This into my daily life. I can do it. I'm not walking on a tightrope. It's possible. Through what Jesus has done for us. Um, Sorry, I need to kind of close out and I'm getting animated so I'll wind back. Um, One final picture. Um, This may or may not work for you. But I've been pondering about this for two or three weeks. I was sitting in a meeting and it came up. So I want you to imagine someone who... um, They've, they've gone down to, let's say, Morecambe Bay, and I'll explain why in a minute, um, and they've seen the sea for the first time, and the tide is up. And they've looked across the sea, and they've seen the waves breaking, and they've seen you know, people playing, and they've seen, and it's beautiful. They've seen the sea, because sometimes the sun shines even in Morecambe Bay, and, they, and they, they've gone away with this picture of the sea. And that is their sea, and they've lived with that picture, and they've stayed with that picture for years. And then they come back, maybe sometime later, and they go to the same place. And when they look out, there's no sea. The tide has gone out. And when the tide's gone out, you see the boys that are lying on the, lying on, on the mud and they're covered in seaweed and you see the keel boats on their side. And you see where the sea was and the debris of where the sea was, but there's no sea. And I think for some, that might be where you are with God. But actually, the ocean has not gone anywhere. The ocean is still there. 
We've seen God through our doctrine. We've seen God through our, our images. And we've looked around and it feels like he's gone. And we see the debris of where he was, but he hasn't gone. God is the ocean, not the sea. I'm being flippant. I'm kind of not being flippant, but I'm trying to make a point. It's not a great illustration, but hopefully you get where I'm going. Job was like that. Job went through the most horrendous things. Haven't got time to explain it. He explained where God was and all the things you could see. And he just said this. He said, these are the fringes of his ways. He said, he talked about all the creation and all those amazing things. He said, these are just the fringes of his ways. Job understood there was something of God which was beyond words. Um, I'm going to finish because I'm out of time and we need to go into, uh, we need to go into communion. Um, can I exhort you, encourage you, that as we, um, as we take communion this morning, that you, you take your specs off. You allow the possibility of God to come in. And you allow the possibility that you can be pleasing to God. And you allow the possibility that whatever you think about yourself, that you're irrelevant, you're no one, you're not worth anything, that this cup is a reminder of God who died for you and for me because he knew you were worth it and he knew you had value. And actually, there are, this room is full of people who can change the world. You may not be a Paul, but actually, if you live your life on the basis of loving mercy and justice and walking humbly with God, you will change the world because it's so unusual. Um, I'm going to hand over to Andrew now um, and allow, allow God to speak to us.